Welcome to the first episode of D-Time, where I, Lee Roto, am going to try to interview some of my favorite drivers, mechanics, and car builders to learn valuable insights from them and find out what they do and why they do it. This first episode is with Michael H., a.k.a. Burspeed. Mike's been a great friend of mine for many years, and I thought he would be the perfect first guest on a podcast where I'm looking to better understand the wisdom learned from anyone passionate in motorsport. Mike's been drifting for almost 20 years and currently pilots an R32 Skyline sedan and a sky blue rotary swapped NA Miata. Mike runs a drifting brand called Burspeed, where you can find popular products of his, such as the Fire Sweatband, and he's been drifting all over the world. Mike lived in Japan for a few months, and he's brought his cars to places like Texas and California. He participates in both drift competitions and car shows, where he usually performs extremely well and wins awards or podiums. But most importantly, he is a diehard track day and street trip nut. He's for sure one of my favorite drivers to tandem with, and he's one of my best friends. You can find Mike on most social and gaming platforms with the tag Burst Speed, or if you add a .us to that, you'll end up at his website. One last thing, after this is all over, please feel free to reach out to me with any questions or even advice on how I can improve this podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Mike. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks um, for having me. I've been, we, you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years about how to set up a car and just about how cool drifting is. And we've done a lot of driving together and even working on each other, others, working on each other's cars. Um, so I'm kind of excited. And I actually mean this honestly to <laughs> sit down and try to better understand some of this, the details and specifics of how you think about motorsport. So are you ready to answer some questions? Sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So for our listeners that may not know you, um, can you tell us a little bit of background about how you got into motorsport, how long you've been doing it for, um, and do you work on your own car? Do you have somebody else do it? Yeah. So I've been into cars basically my entire life since I was born, really. Uh, <laughs> my dad always had interesting vehicles, uh, and then I guess that got me into it too. Um, I would say I really started to get around via friends, cars and stuff like that in 2006, probably right around when I was turning 16. Um, you know, years before that though, I would say 2001 is really when I realized JDM was something I was really into. So I think that's the best way to put it. So then at that point I was playing different video games, um, uh, looking up different videos as the internet became a thing because it hardly was a thing back then like youtube i mean i was downloading drift videos on like limewire <laughs> those things <laughs> so i knew about you know japanese driving and street drifting and stuff like that and i knew that was something i was really into street racing as well and i was also big into highway racing um but yeah i would say 17 years ago which seems crazy is when i started to actually ride along as a passenger in a fast car and then start driving myself. And so how long have you been actually like, I don't want to say track driving because everybody knows you do a lot of street drifting. So mm -hmm. how long have you been, uh, what aggressively driving a vehicle with skill? I, I think what sticks out to me was finally having a vehicle that worked in 2010, which was a 300 ZX. Uh, I had a 240 before that, but it had issues, so I didn't get a lot of seat time with it on the street. 
But 2011 is when I bought my Miata and basically jumped into track driving. Okay. And that was my supposed to be my daily as I built up my uh, 180 and it just turned into the main drift car. Okay. So, so well over 10 years of actual driving experience. Yep. Um, or, and so I guess that leads me right into the first question that I actually had. Um, when you were starting out, you said you got a 300ZX. Mm-hmm. Um, was your second car the Miata? First real car was an S13 hatch. And oh. then that broke, parked it, bought a 300ZX off of my friend and started driving that around. Didn't modify it. It just had lowering springs on it and a steering wheel. Z32 or 31? Z32. Cool. NA. So, okay. So if you think back to your S13 and your Z32, what did you do wrong as a beginner, whether it was modifications or, you know, I should have spent more time on track or off track or if anything, some people, you know, no regrets. Yeah. So I think throwing it back to the beginning of before I even bought a drift car, I think one of the first things that I really remember about getting into it was I went to a hot import nights night shift event where there was drifting. uh, And I was walking around and parked up was someone named Edgar from D squad. Yeah. And I just approached him and I'm like, yo man, your car is sick. And I'm wondering if you could give me some insight on like the basic needs to set up a drift car for someone new to it. And he said, yeah, you know, a bucket seat, coilovers and an LSD. And at the time I'm like, LSD, like (laughs) drugs. (laughs) I didn't know, you know, diff differential, limited slip differential. differential. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a young kid. So I, at the time I didn't really know. Uh, too much. Um, I guess I may have known a little bit, but it was just funny in real life to to hear it that way. Um, so that wisdom has been around that for stuck a long with me. Time. And he just said to keep it really basic, and that's what I planned on doing. So that really stuck with me, and I really appreciate that insight from him because um, he's a rather quiet person. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really cool. And he's been, he is an OG. He's been around since the early days of Chicago drifting. So I thought that was a really cool experience for me. Um, and then basically I bought my 240 and it was single cam turbo. It had like three to 400 horsepower, roughly. It was way overkill. Um, but I figured, well, this is what I need to drift. Right. Um, it was only on lowering springs. It had an open diff, uh, pretty basic, you know, aftermarket wheels, um, And that was just so much car for me to just jump into and start driving. Um, I did drive it in the snow, so I did a lot of snow drifting with it. Obviously, the power didn't matter at that point. Um, At some point, I welded the diff. And then when I tried driving it on dry pavement, I'm like, holy shit, this is a lot of car. Yeah. And from that point, it broke. Uh, My best friend, Andrew, had sold me his 300ZX for really cheap. Very grateful for that. And uh, that became my daily and also drift car. So that's when I really started to drive, you know, dry pavement and practicing. And that car just had lowering springs and a steering wheel. And that was it. And I think starting in a lower powered car like that with no working handbrake 
I just was out street drifting all the time mm -hmm. in the rain and then dry pavement as well. And I had to really be precise with the driving. So I think starting with that type of a situation helped me down the line and then eventually got the Miata one year after that. Okay. So I have two questions on that. Um, you said the, the S14 was just a lot of car. It had three to 400 horsepower. Um, when you say a lot of car, was it just because it had too much power, uh, especially when you consider like the chassis and suspension to back up that power? Or was it just simply just that much power was a little daunting, I guess, at that skill level? Yeah, I mean, I literally, I vividly remember the first time going to an open parking lot and kicking the clutch to try to do a donut. And the car was just so fast. And I didn't have much experience with throttle control at that point other than in the snow. So because it had so much grip at the time, plus the power, it was just so much to manage. And I think it's better to start with a slower car so you have to drive the car and not let the power drive the car. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then what broke on it? You said it broke. Engine failure or? The... <laughs> I was snow drifting around a corner, ironically, right into a parking spot at my friend's house and the flywheel bolts backed out oh and God. it locked up. So I couldn't drive the car at all. So I had it towed to a family friend's shop and he repaired that and then welded my diff at the same time. Wow. That can be so dangerous too, because you have this what 20 pound spinning saw blade right next to your knees. And yeah. there have been some really dramatic, I guess, injuries and destruction from that happening. Oh yeah. And it was making a crazy chattering noise for like a while before that. So I had heard this noise um, and was trying to figure out what the problem was. And before I figured it out, it broke. So yeah. Yeah. So I guess there's a, a tip for any beginners too is, uh, under no circumstances should you not use a torque wrench on your flywheel bolts. <laughs> yeah. And I did not install that. So. There are plenty of bolts on the car that you don't need a torque wrench for, but a flywheel <laughs> is one of the few that like, it's just not an option. Right. Right. <laughs> no Uggadugas for flywheel bolts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I wanted to ask this question. You might've kind of answered it already. Um, when you mentioned the, the lack of a handbrake, um, was that something and does anything else come to mind on something that like once you had the car you didn't even maybe you didn't think about when you got the car or took for granted that in hindsight was kind of like man i'm glad the car had that or was set up in this way or so the handbrake i guess would be one example where you probably didn't even think too much about it not having a handbrake but you look back and you're like that was really helpful actually so the thing i think that's interesting in my case is i really <laughs> started quote unquote drifting uh ff drift so it was an eclipse that was front wheel drive my nice. sister's car and 1g I was or 2g 3g oh wow yeah so and that thing had an incredible handbrake so <laughs> i would drive that car to school before i got my own and there was a gravel turn and i would go there and i would just practice drifting with the handbrake um eventually i did try it dry pavement also and uh so that got me used to pulling a handbrake, modulating and using it, even if it was front wheel drive, that's how I started. And then when I got into rear wheel drive, 
I think I tried using the handbrake, but realized I didn't necessarily need it. Um, and then since I didn't have it in the Z, I realized I, I can use foot brake maneuvers in place of the handbrake. And that definitely made me a better driver looking back on that. Interesting. Okay. So besides uh, the handbrake that we already talked about, was there anything else in the first couple of cars that you had that you didn't even think about when you when you bought them? Maybe even didn't think about it while you owned them, but as you're looking back on it, it happened to shape your journey in drifting. So I think the best advice would really be to keep it simple for your first drift car or any car, I suppose. Um, having too much power could be a problem. And I somewhat experienced that with the 240. I think I could have figured it out, of course, uh, but I really appreciated driving the slower 300ZX and having to learn to like really drive the car to make it work. Um, and then the Miata was the same thing that just had coilovers, a two-way bucket seat steering wheel, and that was pretty much it. And I got a lot of seat time in that. That was so basic, stock engine, reliable. And I drove 10 events that first year with the Miata. And it was amazing. And because I kept it simple, the car didn't break and I got to focus on seat time. Yeah. That to me is most important. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. All right. So let's uh, fast forward now and stop talking about the past and kind of talk about where you are right now. Everything that you've learned over the last, you know, 10, 20, even 30 years on building um, a performance vehicle and piloting that vehicle. Um, and obviously, I know what's really important for you and, and something that's unique for you, if I may, is you you focus heavily on style, whether car style or driving style, but vehicle performance is still really important to you. And you do have some philosophies about how a car should be built to make sure that it um, drifts how you'd like it to, to drift. Yep. So I guess from a high level, how do you find balance between those two things? And is one more important to you or does one uh, affect the other side um, in, in, in a way that you think is, I guess, interesting? So when I get a car, uh, I'm basically going to visualize the end game with it and how I want it to look. Um, the style to me is everything i suppose i mean that's i want it to look how i want it to look and then i will make adjustments to make it handle how i want it to handle so within the constraints of the style you're trying to achieve correct so i want a really low drift car and but i'll, I'll try to make it in a way where it's not going to rub where it's gonna like snap my wheel out of my hands or something like that or rub so bad that it's slowing me down but i want good fitment. I do like a lot of camber. That's the look I like. Not too much. Four and a half, negative four and a half to five degrees, I think is my liking. In the rear or front? All or around. All around. I almost like an even setup all around. I just think the look of that is really cool. Um, but that's not the best performance. Like you'd want zero camber in the rear if you want the most grip. But I would rather try to run, you know, and also I run a small tire size. So that's something that I like to run, but if I could run a grippier tire or lower tire pressure, I would you I would do that instead of running a bigger R compound tire or something like that. Okay. And that's mostly your tire size is also mostly a byproduct of style. You think 
uh, I guess stretch tires. Yep. Looks better than yeah, for tires. sure. Yeah. yeah. The fitment needs to be on point. And, and in no way is mine perfect because it is somewhat of a mix of both um, because I want to drive well, but there are ways to style your car like you want it and still make it perform at a competition level. There will be problems, you know, with tire wear. Uh, they'll get too hot and greasy if you have too much camber because you don't have enough contact patch. And I've experienced, I pretty much experienced that every competition <laughs> I've ever done. And then it bites me in the ass, you know? So if I had just ran less camber, uh, I could have been fine maybe, you know? But to me, at the end of the day, that's not why I'm doing drifting. Like, I love to drive, but I also want it to look how I want it to look. Okay, so when we focus on the style aspect of the cars that you create, um, which right now is basically an R32 sedan and a Miata, uh, what are some very important points to creating a stylish vehicle for you? Um, for example, I've heard a lot of people talk about Ganador mirrors or really just you can't build a stylish car with OEM mirrors. Um, and even though I don't necessarily agree with that, um, that is some people's opinion and it, mirrors definitely have an impact on uh, the style of the car. So are there any key points for the style of your vehicles that is really important to you that you kind of maybe even when you look at other people's cars, that's something that you immediately look at? Um, I think like when building my cars, I I try to just, investigate what parts exist out there and of course there's inspiration out there but i try to pick my favorite things from different people's cars or different parts that are out there right and like i just want to know what parts do i like and will they look good together um i don't want to try to copy someone's car like part for part uh and do any sort of replica thing i want to do my own thing and I think as far as mirrors go, for instance, like I do have Ganadors on the Skyline and I have Craft Square on the Miata. Uh, that just happened to be the mirrors that I thought looked good for my overall style. So like I think about everything and like what will look good together as a end product. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And so. it's actually, I think, more important than a lot of people think. Yeah. You can't just have a bullet point of things off of other people's cars they all have to work together right right yeah. yeah and it doesn't matter what other people are using if there's hype around the ganadors for instance or not i mean if you think that's what's going to look best for your setup just do it mm -hmm. okay what are some of the fa your favorite parts from your miata and your r32 that is either suspension or drivetrain for the miata i would say the rotary engine in it is my favorite thing about it uh it's a lot of fun uh, i've kept it pretty stock and i think that's the key uh it was rebuilt at some point but it's nothing overkills power wise how, how much power is it 250 okay so rew -E right re so fc engine okay um stance coilovers uh they're super supportive of me so i appreciate that uh os kick in two-way ORC clutch. I have that on both vehicles. And I think, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just really like the way that feels. Well, then let's move to the 32. Okay. So with the R32, uh, I have an S13 SR20. 
swapped in there. It actually was in there when I bought this chassis, but that was something that I was looking for. Um, I at the time in Japan when I was there, I had another R32 with an RB, um, and it was fine. But I found this other chassis, the current chassis with the SR in it and some other features. So I, it was just too good of a deal to pass up, and it's really what I wanted. So I switched to that. Um, suspension wise, it pretty much has stance everything. But I am running Tane Super Drift coilovers that have been on there since I bought it. Oh, and wow. they just feel great and they're in great condition. So I've just left them, you know? I mean, like, I think that's another big takeaway is like, if it's not broke, don't fix it or change it unless it really is towards your end game. But if you can deal with it and it works well, save your money and use that money towards seat time. Um, but as far as like suspension setup on the Skyline, you know, stance arms, everything. Uh, I have Zepka Customs Dragon Dagger Angle Kit, which is really just a cut knuckle. Um, Cause two way. And for, you know, going back to the knuckle, I did try to run a GK Tech knuckle and I just really didn't like the way it felt. Um, it wandered a little bit on the highway. And this is me. A big highway car for me. I, I love driving it fast, so I don't want to sacrifice that for angle. And you drive your car to the, the track every yeah, time. Yeah, like basically. three to four hours, 200 miles each way. So, yeah, it, it's but a street car. But you follow car. the speed limit the whole way out there, so. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think the other thing, too, is that it had a really weird feeling with that knuckle where when I turned in, making a turn it would turn in more on its own um to be honest i'm not like the greatest mechanic or person to understand the geometry of this stuff i, I know a little bit and if someone's explaining something to me i can make sense of it uh but i just i didn't like the feeling and that's all that matters right is if you can figure out your setup and understand the problems that you're having with it and just talk to someone about it and figure out what you don't like and make changes turn it into something that you like. Mm -hmm. So I realized I didn't like that type of custom knuckle. Uh, so I wanted to go to a cut knuckle, which is somewhat rare on R32 because you have to gusset it a certain way. Otherwise, they run the risk of snapping. Oh. Uh, so Zepka, you know, made some good knuckles for it and they feel great so far. I think I've seen a lot of recently like gusseting plate kits for even S chassis knuckles. Really? I mean, I it seems like cut knuckles well just like everything they have the risks and it's hard to weld properly cast iron yep for and sure so you got to really know what you're doing and even if you do know what you're doing you're still welding cast iron and i'm not a welder but as i understand it you know a little extra gusseting yeah kind of gives just a little more confidence that hopefully it'll stay together especially when you're shoot driving like especially yeah. when we talk about this i know in like our uh, group of friends that cut knuckles are somewhat concerning on the street even though almost all of us run them yeah and you just have to go with a reliable um manufacturer i guess right so yeah which is actually kind of cool did you know that kazama auto made actual cast knuckles for zn6 and zc6 uh modified no no like they actually cast them shorter shorter for yeah. more angle yeah so that's amazing. Um, I know Kangushi is like uh, 
I don't know if he's sponsored by them or I think he's actually selling them on behalf of Kazama Auto. Okay. And I'm super tempted, but I also have Heatmaker and I love Heatmaker right now. For sure. So I right. think I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess basic questions that I always have <clears throat> um, for suspension setup. Do you know what spring rates you're running on both cars? 8K front, 6K rear on both. On both? Yeah. Are those fairly standard spring rates or have you have you i guess let me ask, have you customized the specification no just standard on the miata it's just the standard stance spring i didn't upgrade to swift but i will say that those coilovers are now 10 years old yeah um i bought them new <laughs> so incredible. and the coilovers that were on my miata were actually the stance prototype coilovers so mm -hmm. my car was the test car for okay. stance coilovers for miata and i still have them so so eight six on both. Yep. Um, how uh, do you have any thoughts that of changing that? Is it just good how it is, or like you always say, just drive it and forget about it? Yeah, I mean, I think I like the softer feeling of it. I, it's so comfortable on the street, like it's not bouncy. I love that, even though the cars are slammed. I guess the the downside to it is that my arrow scrapes away uh, <laughs> so much. So. Yeah. It's like, uh, like I just had fresh BN on the skyline, and because the suspension is so soft, uh, it basically sands sanded away like half an inch towards the back of my side skirt and rear bumper, yeah. and that kind of sucks. I, I guess I could put like some metal or something there, but yeah, you, I mean, you would shoot more sparks then. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it'd be interesting to go a little stiffer, maybe, but not too stiff. I do have the dampening maxed all the way but I'm using those spring rates and I don't know. I just, maybe I could make it better running a little stiffer spring rate, but it works for me. Mm -hmm. And I just try to drive around it. So if we move away from your cars and get uh, a little bit more into what makes Mike tick, what is it about drifting that keeps you going? You've been doing it for a long time. I'm pretty sure there's no end in sight for you. You're not getting nope. bored of it. No. Um, so what, what keeps you going? I just love that you get to style a car the way you want it and drive it really aggressively. And I suppose you can do that with grip driving too. Uh, and I think maybe in the future, it'd be fun to go down that path and try it, uh, whether it's with one of my vehicles now or picking up another chassis in the future and trying that out. Uh, but drifting is such a rush. It is so fast. And when you're in, a close tandem it's like you know you can't even blink right like when you're that close you make a mistake you can crash same thing with street drifting you could crash too right and like there's just no room for error and i like that feeling mm -hmm. to to make that work mm -hmm. and i've met so many people around the world doing this i've traveled around the world doing this and what a great adventure it has been <laughs> That's definitely one of my favorite parts is all the adventures that we yeah. happen to get ourselves into. It's amazing. We have stories. We could talk all night long for days, you know, all these stories that we've had. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to do stories some for another in time the, for, in the future. Yeah. <laughs> um, within the last uh, 20 years, or as you said, from when you were born, you were into racing um, yeah. or motorsport. Um, what have you changed your mind on? within motorsports throughout the years 
if I guess if anything. I think the first thing that comes to mind is more power is not always better. And you don't always need like a sports car to do what you want to do. I remember uh, turning 16 and I was really into E36 M3 BMW. And I thought it was the do all car. And it's partially from the mischief videos and Dotto because he was doing highway racing and drifting and everything. And I thought that was really sick. And it was a two door. And I thought, well, why would anybody ever buy a four door fast car? You know, because that's not optimal. So I thought, I think as a young kid that I needed high power sports car, optimal power to weight type of situation. And cares <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I, I just don't think it matters i think you can have 200 horsepower and really have fun with it run a less grippy tire if you're trying to drift you know and like get really good at driving the chassis that you have and the keys really just to make it reliable and i would have gotten into drifting and gotten a lot more seat time if i had kept it simple in the beginning and not overbuilding a vehicle in the beginning get into something start driving it Make small changes, feel what those changes do to your car and learn from it. So, so that's basically the mic that I've known for the whole time that I've known you is relatively low power, reliability and track time is everything. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Uh, did, did you have in your early part of motorsport, like trying to chase horsepower numbers? No, but I think that was part of the reason why I bought the 240 that was single cam turbo with all that power. I mean, honestly, it was a really good deal. So honestly, how could you pass up that deal? It was like four grand for that fast of a car Mm -hmm. with a bunch of mods on it. So it was a really good deal. Um, So it just happened that way. But I think jumping from that, having little problems here and there, to the Z that was just bare bones basic. And that actually had problems too, but really it was jumping to the Miata that that car did have modifications, the bucket seat coilovers, two way LSD, you know, but that's it stock engine and allowing me to drive 10 events that year as my daily driver, plus all the street driving. I was like, there's just, this is the formula. Yeah. That's a nice way. And that was it. Yeah. So you have a, I guess, company called Burst Speed, but it's also mm-hmm. your persona. I suppose, yeah. Um, and one thing that I've found from, from D Corp is there's something special and unique about contributing to the, contributing to the, the community of, that is your passion. Yeah. Um, and so I'm wondering if you've noticed anything from, and you started Burst Speed a long time ago, yeah. But if you've noticed anything about the difference between contributing to a community and a sport and a hobby versus just trying to take stuff from it. Sure. I think for me, like for instance, like I started using the burst speed name in 2001. I was in fifth grade and I didn't think much of it at I the time. I did not know that. So for me, that was just a name that I thought was really cool. I made it my email, I made it my gamer tag on Xbox, and it's been that way ever since. That was my handle on Instagram. And as, you know, 
the following increased and people were asking, you know, for stickers because I was selling, I was importing parts uh, from Japan, wheels and stuff like that. Eventually I thought it'd be cool to like, Oh, make my own sticker and like include it in what I'm selling. And eventually people just started to ask to purchase stickers. And so I was like, all right, for sure. You know, so that's how it started for me. Uh, I didn't set out to make a brand, but I recognized the platform I was dealing with. And I thought this would be a fun opportunity to potentially produce something that we might need that can also make it look cool, mm -hmm. the vehicle, you know? So, and basically the, the first main thing that I do is I created the reservoir covers, which is the sweatbands that you mm -hmm. put on your brake fluid reservoir, power steering, clutch if you want it. Um, and really a million uses, seeing them used yeah. in steering columns and shift knob yeah. stock, like, yeah. And I think it's really cool that you can put them in different spots and it's little dress up areas, you know, and it has function. And before everybody was just using, I mean, first off, most people were using dirty socks and rags. <laughs> I'm guilty. <laughs> and, you know, being that we help run drift events and we are doing tech, you know, I just saw firsthand, like, we need something. Why is there not a more easily accessible item for this? Yeah. So that's why I did it, you know, and now so many people use it. Super grateful, of course. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really cool to see the different color varieties in their engine bay. And I, I think it is just really cool to see all that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I guess the last question would basically be what, if any, advice would you have to a new somebody who's interested in motorsport in general? I think in general, knowledge is so easy to come by these days compared to when we started. So it's so easy to send a message to someone who's an expert at their craft and, and get some knowledge, you know, and follow their build and pick out, okay, I like their styling or whether that's the styling of their car or the styling of their driving. And once you watch it enough, you'll realize there's there's a particular method to certain people's driving. And you might want to emulate that and do that type of driving yourself based on the track that you're at, you know, that you will be driving. So I think nowadays you can research all of this stuff and decide the path you want to go down. And honestly, like play video games, like play Forza. Forza is amazing. That's what I use. Uh, I love that. I only use a controller. Um, obviously simulators are huge these days and more accessible than ever. Um, I've played on them. I'm not usually that amazing. I, I can do some decent runs on them, but still to this day, I choose to play Forza with friends with a controller. Uh, yeah. and that has helped me so much because it's the timing of shifting, pulling the handbrake, clutching in, play with clutch, uh, and line choice. So I think that is super beneficial. And then jumping into a chassis that is simple enough, honestly, and basic where you don't have to pour money and time into, and you can really just focus on driving if that's what you're into, you know? Yeah. Perfect. I mean, that was, it's a great ending to a podcast that 
is supposed to be mainly for uh, helping newcomers with information from experienced drivers, like you said. So yeah. do you mind if people message you? Hit me up. <laughs> I people do all the time. So yeah, by I all can, means. I can say the same. I've been trying to really make a real effort at uh, answering everybody's questions um, with, I guess, a smile on my face and as much information as I can provide for them. So hopefully, I guess mm -hmm. the advice for younger drivers, or I shouldn't say younger, newer drivers is to ask the questions. And I would also give the advice to any experienced drivers right now, be friendly, answer the questions, yeah, help sure. them, help them learn what you think is important so that they're not getting it from the many garbage sources on the internet. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much, Mike. Yes. This is the first one. Thank you so much. Happy went, to be here. Went pretty, I think it went pretty well. Yeah.